You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning. I'm over here. I'm uh, just grabbing these. So I'm, uh, we, we get real technical here at Anthem Church sometimes, and these are my props for this morning. You might say, hey, I have a prop under me. Yes, you do. It's, uh, it's just a chair. Um, but my name is, my name is Luke. I'm, I, I think I'm more funny than I am, obviously. But I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And so I uh, just want to say, first of all, as Stan already said, we are excited. We're exci- You're going to hear that a lot probably over the next few weeks. But I'm, exci- I'm just excited that people are sitting in the front row. That's awesome. Our youth group was there, but you guys kicked them out. That's okay. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm excited for all the ministry that's, that's happening, for all that God's going to do, and, and uh, I just want to invite you into that, invite you to continue to pray and just seek God, because I believe God wants to do big things over this next season of ministry in Anthem Church. Amen? Do you believe that? Some of you are new. You're like, I have no idea. I'm new here. But those of you who aren't, you should have said yes. So uh, we're excited about that. We're in, we're in Ruth chapter 4 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 4. Um, I get the privilege this morning of, of kind of finishing up our time in Ruth. What we do here as a church is we just take one book of the Bible typically. We walk through it week by week, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we just say, God, what would you have for us in your word? And this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you... I want to give you the big idea right off the, right off the bat. So if you're a, a note taker, you can write this down. Here's the big idea for this morning. This is the one thing that if you walk away with one thing, this is what I want you to get. Okay? God can be trusted. Maybe saying, well, I didn't really need to write that down. I, it's, I, yeah, it's simple, but it's, it's profound at the same time, isn't it? God can be trusted. My, my wife... Um, told me recently, kind of by way of confession, that she, she was having a hard time with my driving. And, and you guys laugh, but I mean, right? she, she's, she doesn't hide it very good. I, I knew that she was having a hard time with my driving because she, you know, just pretend like this is a car, you know, this is obviously the driver's seat, so I'm here driving my car. And she's here, and she'll do things like, um, like we'll be driving, and she'll go, and she'll grab the, grab the dash, she'll grab the, 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 the door, or grab that little handle, and, you know, and I'll be driving, I'm thinking, what in the world just happened? Or, or she'll, she'll, she'll do things like this. <gasps> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm here, and she does that, and I'm like, what? What's going on? And, and I, you know, I give her a hard time. But we've all been here, Right? I mean, how many of you, you're here, you're laughing. Some of you, I, I see you laughing. You're here because you know you're that person. And, and I think everybody's that person from time to time. That's why cars are made with that handle. <laughs> right? Is there any other reason that that handle is there? It's not going to save you, right? If you grab onto that and you're in an accident, it, nobody walks away from an accident and be like, praise God, that handle was there. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have went, you know, Whatever. But we, we all are here from time to time. My, my mom, I remember, um, she used to, like when I was driving, she used to pretend like there was a brake pedal on her side of the car. Some of you are like, yep, that's me. I'm the brake pedal person. You know, you're like, you know, you're holding on to the handle and you're trying to press the imaginary brake. And it doesn't work. But, but the thing about it is, as the driver, most of us probably have been here too. Like you have a passenger in your seat. And, 
And as the driver, you can see things differently, can't you? As a driver, you have a different perspective. As a driver, you can see that the car, two cars in front of you, is starting to slow down, or you can see they swerved, or you can see that there's something going on up ahead, and so you act accordingly. But when you act the way you act, because you can see the perspective, and your passengers here going like this, or, you know, like all, getting them all going at once, they're acting from their perspective. Because they can't see what you as the driver can see, right? See, I think that oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, that's what we do with God, right? That's, that's what we do. That's how we interact with God. We, we sit in the seat, and we can't understand. We can't see what's coming up ahead, and so we try and grab onto anything that's going to give us some semblance of control. We try and grab onto anything that's going to make us feel a little bit more secure. We, we react because we can't see, and yet God is in the driver's seat. God is writing our story. God sees down the road things that we can't see, but we react out of what our perspective, what our, what our situation tells us at the moment. And I think that's what, what brings people to ask questions like, well, where is God? If God were, if God were good, then, then this wouldn't have happened. If God were good, then, then you know, fill in the blank. If, if God were really powerful, then, then this, this situation wouldn't be the case. And so what we do is, is maybe, maybe we're holding on to other things, but maybe we just say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. I can't, I can't be here. Or maybe what we do oftentimes, we say, you know what, how about you get out of the driver's seat, let me take the wheel, and I can drive for a little while. And what I want to do this morning as we look at, at Ruth, at the last chapter of Ruth, what we see is just this, this idea that God can be trusted. We see people like Ruth and Boaz acting out of this, this perspective, out of this understanding that even though things are dark, even though they can't see what's ahead, they know, they have a deep understanding, deep conviction that God can be trusted. And so we see them acting out of that trust. And what I want to do this morning, as we close out this book, I want to look at two people who are called worthy at at different points in the whole story and look at what does it look like to really trust God? What does it look like to allow him to drive our lives, to write our story, even when it's hard? What does it look like to trust God even when our situation says otherwise? Let's go ahead and read Ruth chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to start with verse 1, and hopefully you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available, so uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you one. Uh, Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Let's, let's go ahead and stop there. What, what we see here, we need to take just a few moments, especially if you're new here, to, to give some context to what's happening. 
the, the last chapter, chapter 3, what we saw last week was, was Boaz and Ruth, they have this interaction, and it's a little odd, but basically it results in a, in a, in a wedding proposal where, where Ruth is saying, hey, will, will you be mine? Will you, will you take me? Will you have me? Will you, will you put your protection over me? Will you redeem me? And, and Ruth and Naomi, again, if you haven't been here, they're coming from a place of, of destitution and poverty and hopelessness and emptiness. But in that moment, Boaz says, yes, yes, I will do it. Yes, I want you. Yes, I, I, I want to make you mine. But he says, but wait, we can't just, we can't just run into this thing because there is a, there's an obstacle in the path of our life together. There's an obstacle here. And, and it's interesting because Boaz says, so you go back home. I'm, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to defile you. I'm not going to defile me. I'm not going to go against God. You go back home, and I'm going I'm to take care of this. And this is what we see here. Boaz is, is entering into this, this law that we see set up in Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 25, I have it up on the screen. It kind of gives us a better understanding of what's happening in this passage. Leviticus 25, verses 25 through 27 says this, If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer or his nearest relative shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no one to redeem it and then himself becomes prosperous and finds sufficient means to redeem it, let him calculate the years since he sold it and pay back the balance to the man whom he sold it and then return to his property." Basically what the law, this Levitical law to God's people is, is setting up is whenever somebody becomes uh, impoverished, whenever they, they lose their, their finances, whatever, which we saw in the beginning of this story, there's a famine in the land. So Elimelech, he, he goes away from the presence of God. He goes away from Bethlehem. And most likely what happened is he sold his property because he didn't have the means to continue. And yet, in, as we see in Leviticus, in every, uh, in every land deal, in every contract, there's, a, there's a, uh, a clause in there that says, if I can find a redeemer, I get to, I get to have my land back. Uh, you'll be compensated. But basically, God didn't want God's people to, to just be in perpetual poverty. He didn't want people to, to lose their land if something changed, and so he... he he had this clause in there, and this is what's happening. Boaz is saying, I want to redeem you. I want to be that for you. But there's a nearer redeemer. There's a, there's a person who's closer to you. And so we see he's interacting with this nearer redeemer. And I love it because this is so opposite to our modern-day love stories. Like you think about Romeo and Juliet or, or whatever, whatever movie might come to your mind. There's this idea where it's like, I love you and, and you love me. And it doesn't matter what the, what the man says, right? It doesn't matter what the law says. We're going we're gonna to kick down any barriers. We're going to break down any obstacles because you're my love and blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> I, I was thinking about the song Rude when I was thinking about this. You guys know that song, uh, right? Um, let me sing it for a a little bit for you, okay? You can join in. Can I have your daughter for the rest of my life? Say yes, say yes. There you go. Because I need to know. You say I'll never have your blessing till the day I die. Tough luck, my friend, because the answer's still no. And then what does he say? Why you got to be so rude? Don't you know I'm human too? Why you got to be so rude? And then what? Oh, man, that song just makes me mad. Right? This guy goes up to his, this dad of his, this girl he's dating, and he's like, hey, will, will you let, and the dad's like, no. He's like, why are you going to be so rude, man? I'm a human. I'm going to marry her anyway. I'd be like, boom. Uh-uh. 
right? But that's, that's how our culture views these love stories. doesn't matter what stands in the way. doesn't matter what's right or what's wrong. It just matters what I feel. Just matter, it just matters what, what feels right in the moment, and it just matters what I want. I'm going to hold on to what I want with a white-knuckled grip, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what the loss. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I'm going to hold on to this thing because I want it. And Boaz says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hold what I want with an open hand, and I'm going to hold on to the things of God with a white-knuckled grip. And, and I believe Boaz walks out trusting God, believing God, and saying, God, I want this, but I want you more than anything else. You see, to Boaz, happily ever after meant him and God together forever. To Boaz, it meant I'm not going to complicate. I'm not going to say go against God for the things of, of this world just because I want it, just because it, it may be what feels right. God has a plan for my life, and Boaz says, Boaz says, Ruth, there's somebody else, and so we're going we're gonna to go God's route, and we're going to see what God will do. We're going to trust God with our future. Amen? And yet, and yet there's so many times where we can hold on to those things, and we can justify. I, I watched a, a video here recently um, of how to catch a baboon, which I thought was really applicable to our cultural setting and our... <laughs> Our time, but but basically, I'd seen this before. But basically, it's I don't know where this was taking place, but uh, but it's some yeah I don't know where. But there's there's this huge like ant hill, you know those big ant hills, and this guy walks up to the ant hill, and there's a narrator because there always is, and and he's talking about how he he's making a hole, and this baboon's super curious. He's watching. He makes a hole, and he puts some seeds in the hole, and he walks away, and the baboon runs up, and he's curious. And so the baboon he reaches his hand in the hole, and he grabs whatever's in there, but then. He can't get his hand out because his hand is now too full. His fist is too big. And what happens is the guy just kind of saunters up, grabs the baboon, which I don't think you should do. Anyway, he grabbed him, like put a leash around his neck and just kind of let him off. It's like, what? This is crazy. But what, I mean, just watching that, the baboon wanted so badly what was in there, he would not let it go. And yet because of that, he lost his freedom and possibly his life. See, we can justify easily why we hold on to things. We can justify so easily why we, I don't know, why we download illegal movies, pirated movies, pirated movies. We can, we can justify why we fudge on our taxes. We can justify why we're, why we're in sexually immoral or impure relationships. We can justify why we gossip about people that we work with or people that we're around. We can justify so many other things, but the bottom line is we are holding tightly to things that aren't necessarily God, and what we're saying is, you know what? I don't trust that you can see where we're going, and so I'm going to take over. I'm going to hold on. That's what we're doing. And yet Boaz says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to believe that he has good for my life, good for our lives. He has a plan and he has a purpose. So, so Ruth, I'm going to hold this with open hands and I'm going to run after God. That's what it looks like to trust him. He, he goes on and he interacts with this near redeemer. And, and I love it because, because Boaz is pretty, he's a pretty shrewd guy. And he kind of lays this out and he says, you know, Naomi, our relative, he says, you know our situation, the land, all these different things. He says, so if you want to buy the land, buy the land because you're the guy for it. You're the, you're the guy who can redeem her. You're the guy who can bring her back from poverty. You're the guy who can, who can help her out. 
You see what the near redeemer says? He says, I'll buy it. See, to him, it, I think the, the idea of having more land, that's, that's pretty good. The idea of, of being the guy that can add more to his portfolio, that's pretty good. And yet what I want you to understand is most likely this guy knew what was happening. He knew Naomi's, Naomi's plight. He knew where she was. Because Bethlehem was a very small town. And, and in, uh, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19, we see it says this, When they came to Bethlehem, meaning Ruth and, and Naomi, the whole town was stirred because of them. The whole town was stirred because of them. Guys, news in a small town goes really fast, doesn't it? How many of you are from small towns? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Right? I'm, I, I remember when I was a kid driving around uh, Brashear, Missouri, population 200 and change. Right? I, and, you know, as a kid, you don't drive safe. <laughs> Who's, who drives safe when they're a kid? And, and I can remember, like, we'd be driving around town, and maybe it was a time of the night that we weren't supposed to be driving around, or we were driving at speeds we weren't supposed to be driving. But I had Uncle Pete. And Uncle Pete lived in the middle of town. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter what time I was driving. It didn't matter how I was driving. My dad knew exactly. Like, before I got to the next place I was going, my dad knew it. Like, he, boom, he knew because Uncle Pete and news travels fast in small towns. This guy knew exactly what was going on. He knew he knew Naomi's plight. He knew what she needed. He knew that she was being marginalized. He knew that she was being oppressed. He knew that there was no hope in her future. And yet he chose not to do anything until it looked like he could gain something without any cost to himself. And yet we see, we see more of his heart as the story goes on in verse 6. Again, Boaz, he's, he's very shrewd. He's saying, hey, buy this land. But when you buy it, if you buy it, he says that in verse 5, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. We see the heart of this near Redeemer. We see it come out. And, and he's saying, look, uh, sure, I'll take land. I'll take these things if it doesn't inconvenience me. I'll take these things, but what Boaz is saying is he's saying, look, but if you take the land, you also get Ruth. And if you take Ruth, then you have to provide for her an heir. You have to provide for her a future. You have to provide for her. And you see the near redeemer saying, oh, I, I don't know if I'm ready for all that. See, he doesn't want to enter into the situation, even though he sees it, even though he's aware, even though he is the one that should, by Levitical law, he is the one that should enter in. He says, no, I, I, I don't know about that. And I get it. I get it because there are times where I see things that I know, I know I should do something about them. I see things that I know I should, uh, that should bring action from me. I, uh, there are times where I feel as though the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and telling me to, to talk to someone or do something. And yet the bottom line is to, to do those things, to follow that, to step into that role, to trust God in that way, would lead me to having to, to kind of tear up my plans. Even if it's just for a day or an hour sometimes. Right? It, it, it would be for me to say, no, I, I don't know if I want to do that. And see, there are many reasons possibly that the near redeemer says no. It's possible that, that he's saying, you know what? Naomi, she made her bed. Now she can lie in it. Because in the beginning of the story, we see that she follows her husband, Elimelech. 
And they leave the presence of God trying to find things, trying to find fulfillment in life outside of God's presence. And maybe he's saying, you know what? She deserves it. She doesn't need to be brought back in. She doesn't need to be redeemed because this is on her. Maybe for him, maybe he's thinking, you know, Ruth, I don't know about that. She's a Moabite. See, to Jewish people, Moabites were cursed. To Jewish people, Moabites were kind of less than. And so maybe for him, he's saying, you know, I don't know if I want somebody like that in my family. I don't know if I want somebody like that in my bloodline. I don't know if I want somebody like that taking advantage of all that I've worked for. So no thanks. Or maybe he's just in a place where he's saying, I can't have that disrupt what I have going on here. I have my future plans. I have my 401k. I have all that that I want to do laid out before me. And if I step out in this, then what's going to happen to my plans? You know, I, I can't be inconvenienced in that way. See, I love, I love when, we, when we see this. What this guy is actually doing, he's saying, I have a future prepared for me. I'm driving here. I can see I have a future prepared for me. And yet, in the same instance, because he held tightly to, to this future that he thought he should follow. He, he held tightly to this future that he was preparing for himself. He actually missed out on a godly legacy. I mean, if you, if you look at the story, let me ask you, what is this guy's name? What's his name in chapter 4? It's not Boaz, not Ruth. What's his name? Boaz calls him friend, calls him near redeemer. What's his name? Who knows? Nobody knows. You're like, I don't know. I'm new here. I don't. No, we, you don't know his name. Guys, this is a small town. This is, this is a, the nearest relative that Naomi has. Can I, can I suggest that they knew exactly who this guy was? Can I suggest that the author knew exactly who this guy was? And yet Boaz, when he interacts with him, he says, Hey, friend, come over here and sit down. A, a better translation probably would be, Hey, so-and-so. Now, now it's, I don't think it's an angry so-and-so like we do sometimes. That's so-and-so, you know, like Christian cussing. But, like, I, I, think, it, I think it may be like this, the author is basically intentionally leaving this guy's name out of the history of the Bible. Isn't that crazy? Everybody knew who he was. And yet we don't. We know Boaz. We know Ruth. But the author is, is making a comparison. He's saying compared to, to Boaz, who would trust God and who would, who would allow God to write his story, who would allow God to, to drive and direct his future, compared to him, this guy doesn't even get to be remembered. And I wonder at times if we can't make some of the same applications for ourselves. Us, who we're, sometimes we're, we're so set on keeping our future we're so set on saying, God, I can't step into this right now because it's really going to disrupt what I have planned. I can't adopt right now because it's really going to disrupt my life. I can't, I can't go out and, and be a connection group leader. I don't want to meet new people. I don't want to, uh, whatever it is, fill in the blank. But when we have our eyes set on our future and what we see lying ahead, our future is too small for the plans and promises of God. Amen. I mean, we're still talking about Boaz and Ruth because Boaz looked at the situation. He says, yes, this is going to cost me something. Yes, I don't know what the future is going to hold here. But I guarantee it's going to be better than whatever I can do. 
I can trust God no matter what. No matter, no matter what I can see, I can trust Him. And so I'm going to let Him drive, and I'm going to hold on to the things I want with an open hand and hold on to Him with a, night, with a white-knuckled grip. And yet this guy, he says, hey, you take it. You take my position. And he's forgotten by the pages of history. And we are to see that that should not be us as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? It goes on. And after, after this guy says these things, after, after he says, hey, you take it. I cannot redeem it. My future's set. I have all these plans. I can't let her disrupt this. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malone, also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malone, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore of Judah to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. You see, after, after this near redeemer says, hey, you go ahead and do it, I can't. They enter into this legal, legal transaction, and it, and it sounds super weird from our perspective, but what the guy does is he takes off his sandal, and he gives it to him, and he's like, done. It's like, what? Okay. Yeah, but, but basically what this is representing, he's saying, what is mine, what is mine is now yours. What should be my role, I am now giving to you. And then Boaz repeats back to, to the, the elders, and he says, all right, this is, this is what's happening. Everything that Naomi has, I'm, I am buying, I'm redeeming, I am, I am bringing them back from poverty into fulfillment. I, I am bringing them back from, from being marginalized to being part of community. I'm bringing them back from, from sure death because if you don't have land in this day, you don't have life. I'm bringing them back from death to life. I am providing. I want to be Ruth's provider. I want to be Ruth's redeemer. I want to provide for the, the name of Elimelech, that no longer will he be forgotten, even though he sinned, even though he walked away. I want to provide. Bring them back. And the people responded, and they, they just respond with blessing and praising. And they're like, yes, we're witnesses. Yes, this is awesome. Yes, may you have lots of kids. Yes, we agree. Amen and amen. And what we actually get to see here and what we're, what we're witnessing as we read this story is we are witnessing a legal transaction where Boaz is literally saying, it is finished. It is finished. There's no more question about will he or won't he or who's going who's gonna to provide or where are they going to find food and all the things that we went through through this story. There's no longer any question about that. They are redeemed. They are his. They are bought and paid for. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? There's, like, God is the God of the oppressed. God is the God of the people who, who have no one to rescue them. And Boaz says, that's me. I'm stepping into that role, and it is done. 
Praise God. Amen. I heard somebody. I get excited about that. Maybe, maybe you're not excited because you don't know where we're going yet. So let's keep going. All right. Then after this legal, legal interaction, after Boaz says, it's finished. It's done. It goes on in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has left you. Who has, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a, gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Guys, I love the end of Ruth because it's meant to be read in contrast to the beginning of Ruth. Where in the beginning of Ruth, we see, we see Elimelech leaving. We see, we see famine. We see confusion. We see fear. We see, we see death. And in the end, we see life. In the beginning, we see emptiness. And in the end, we see wholeness. In, in, the, in the beginning, we see fear. And in the end, we see hope. Isn't that beautiful? Even to, even to the, the extent that the women just break out in praise and song. And these are the same women that in the beginning of the story, I want to I read it for you in uh, verse, verse 20 through 21 of chapter 1. It says, she said to them, and this is Naomi saying to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? I mean, she is, she is broken. She is hurting in the beginning of the story. And, and guys, make no, I mean, Let's be, let's be understanding, let's be real, that when we walk away from the place of God trying to find fulfillment, trying to find hope in things that are not God, this is exactly what we'll find. We will find emptiness and destruction and hopelessness. That's what we find. That's Galatians 6, 7, Paul says it this way, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And yet, guys, God is faithful, and he did not leave Naomi in that place. Amen? He did not leave her in that place. He brought her back, and the women are expressing this, this fulfillment. They're saying, ah, oh, in your old age, when you shouldn't have hope, you should only have death, God has fulfilled his promises to you. God has taken care of you. God can be trusted. Amen? And, and even in that, I, guys, apart from from an outside force working in Naomi's situation, apart from someone coming in and bringing life back into her situation, bringing fullness back into her emptiness, apart from Boaz working on her behalf, there is only hopelessness. And there is only death. And yet because, because Boaz sought to redeem her, because, because God provided a redeemer. I, I love Naomi 
goes from, from wanting to be called Mara to now being called Naomi again. In, in the very beginning of the story, again, what we just read, when, when Naomi comes back, I, I just imagine all, all of the land is in uproar, all the cities in uproar, and, and the women come back, and they're like, Naomi's back, Naomi's back. She must have been popular, I don't know. But they're like, Naomi, Naomi, ah, Naomi, look at me, hey, remember me. I, I don't know if they're like kids, maybe that's too juvenile. But, but they're, they're excited. They're saying, Naomi, Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi. <laughs> okay. Naomi, if, if you remember when we were going through chapter 1, you can go back and listen to it. Naomi means sweet. Naomi means like sweetie pie. Like it means, it means sweet. She says, don't call me sweet. Don't call me that. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She says, don't call me sweet. Call me bitter. Because this is all that God has done. Because I walked away and I only found death and emptiness. But now at the end of the story, as the women are proclaiming and rejoicing, they're saying, God has provided for Naomi. You don't see Naomi say, hey, I thought I told you my name is Mara. (laughs) You don't see that, right? You don't see that. You see her. I, I believe what we see is her walking in the fullness of what it means to be called Naomi now. She's brought back from, from being like, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. I'm bitter. And now she's saying, oh, praise God, I have, a, I have hope and I have a future and I can be Naomi again. God has redeemed her. And the reason this is exciting, the reason I think we should be excited for this is because not only has God provided a redeemer for Naomi and Ruth, but in the same way, God has provided a redeemer for you and me. Amen. See, that's what this story is all about. That's what this is all about. Boaz is a, is a foreshadowing. He's a, he's a type pointing us to Jesus. Pointing us to what Jesus did, what Boaz did for Ruth and Naomi, points us to what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul goes on to say this in Colossians 2, 13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and you who were dead, that was each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. And you who were dead, that was me, that was you, that might still be you here this morning. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in your sin, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that means just the the removal of, of you going after your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our sins, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus on the cross cries out, It is finished! There's no longer any question, will I or won't I or, or am I going can to, I, can I have a relationship with God or can't I? There's no question now. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with God. We can be redeemed from death to life, from emptiness to fullness. And maybe you're sitting here this morning, you haven't experienced that. I'm saying this morning, that is for you if you would accept that. If you would surrender your life to him. 
Let go of whatever it is that you're holding on to. Let go of that steering wheel of your life and allow him to come in and do a work in you. And guys, if, if you have already experienced that, then I believe what, what this passage shows us is that our lives should be a representation of the redemption that we've experienced. It's, we should show it. Uh, uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Why is Peter saying, hey, you need to be ready for a reason for the hope that you have? Why, why does he say that? You need to be ready. Be ready to give, a, give an explanation. Because I think what he's saying is, people should be coming up to you and saying, hey, what's different about you? You're going through some stuff right now. What's, what's different? Tell me about that. Tell me about the hope that you have. And Peter's saying, be ready, because that's going to happen. In the midst of difficult situations, even in the midst of, of things that you can't see the future, you don't know what it's going to look like. He says, be ready to tell people why you're still hopeful. Why you're, why you're saying, no, I'm Naomi, not Mara anymore. And yet, unfortunately, oftentimes, oftentimes there are so many churches full of people who would claim to be redeemed, and yet who are still living a Mara life. And again, I get it. I get it. We live in a world that is so full of just confusion and fear and shootings and oppression. And I mean, politics in general just depresses me. And yet we are called, Matthew 5.13, so that's why we call our college ministry the salt company, because we're called to be salt and light. We are called, yes, let's go out into the world, but let's go out into the world as Naomi's, not Mara's. Go out into the world recognizing, yes, we need to be change agents. We need to show light and show people who God is and what he's done and what he will continue to do in your life if you just trust him, if you put your trust in him, allow him to drive your life, allow him to write your story. So my question for you this morning is, one, have you experienced that redemption that is offered through Jesus Christ? Have you experienced it? And two, if you have, does your life reflect the redemption that you have? Would people look at you and say, oh, Mara? Or would they say, Naomi, Naomi's back. And yeah, you're going through some stuff. Can you tell me about why you're hopeful? Can you tell me about this? You see, the end of this story, the reality is they are still going through some hard times. This is one of the darkest periods in biblical history, time of the judges. Everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody's doing what they think's right. None of it's good. And yet in the midst of this, this is how the story ends. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Did you catch that? In the darkest point in, in biblical history where there's no king in the land, we see the author saying, out of this, God brings about the best king that ever lived. From Ruth, who was a Moabite widow, who everybody saw is, is cursed, less than, married to Boaz, who Stan taught a few weeks ago, was the son of an ex-prostitute. Out of that, 
God brought incredible redemption, not only for them, but for their whole nation. I wonder what he could do with people, with us, with Anthem Church, if we are willing to say, God, I trust you, even in the midst of this difficult situation. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I got a lot of stuff coming at me. I don't understand. It feels dark. I don't understand what's going on. Guys, I would encourage you and say, trust God. Because God is still working and he is still driving. And if you're trying to hold on to that wheel, if you're holding on to other things, let that go. And allow God to be who he is in your life. Amen? And I believe that through that, God's going to do amazing things, not only in this city, not only in this country, but in this world. Amen? Let's, let's pray. God, I, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I praise you for the story of Ruth. God, I praise you for the fact that we can, we can look at this story, and even though there are times where it's, it just looks like you're not doing anything, it looks like you're absent in the story, God, you are still working, and God, I, I believe and I trust you that even in times where it feels like you're absent in our stories, God, where it feels like you're absent in our culture, God, where it feels like you're absent in our news, it feels like you're absent in, in, in whatever it is that we engage in our workplace, God, you are still working and you are still faithful. And God, I praise you for the example that Boaz set for us and I praise you for for the fact that we can be redeemed. God, I, I praise you for the fact that we can trust you and you will bring us into places that yes, they might cost us, but we can live a godly legacy that will echo far beyond our lives when they're over. God, I, I praise you and I pray that if there's anybody in here who have not experienced that redemption, God, let them feel you this morning. Let them experience you this morning. And God, if there's anybody in here who's, who's still being characterized as bitter, God, help them to see the celebration that we can have in you. We love you, God. We praise you. It's in your name. Amen.